and I and I've seen it. I I go online sometimes and I see these articles, these blogs of like how to build quality time mm-hmm. together. They just tell you what to do. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to yeah. You better take up hiking because it's everybody's favorite quality time. Welcome to Attached, a podcast about the loved ones we're attached to and the good, the bad, and the ugly advice about those relationships that maybe we shouldn't be so attached to. We here at Attached want to share ways to enhance your relationships and debunk all of that bad relationship advice using science. I'm Dr. Patricia Robertson out of the University of Tennessee. I'm Dr. Sarah Woods at UT Southwestern Medical Center. And I'm Dr. Sasa Nagash from San Diego State University. This week, I get to bring you an academic article. Specifically, I found one about socioeconomic differences in the divorce rate, which may be explained by external stressors limiting the time lower income couples can spend together. This week's article is written by Dr. Hannah C. Williams and Megan T. Schuweiler. Uh, and published in the Journal of Family Psychology. It is titled, Household Income Differentiates Quantity and Quality of Shared Spousal Time. But before we get into it, if you have some new research on relationships that you want us to talk about, send it to us. You can email us at attachedpodcast.gmail.com, tweet us, Facebook us, Instagram us, all at Attached Podcast, or go straight to the source, attachedpodcast.com, and send us a message. To support this podcast and to help us get relationship science out into the world, please go to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash attached, and donate. So wherever you listen to our podcast, YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and so on, please kindly rate and review it. It helps a lot. All right, are we all ready? Let's get into this episode's article. Sarah, why don't you introduce it for us? Beautiful. Today, we're taking a deep dive into new research on socioeconomic differences in the divorce rate. In general, we know that the divorce rate has been steady or declining since the 90s, though we're not exactly sure what COVID will do to change those trajectories. But we also know that lower income couples get divorced at higher rates than higher income couples. In other words, the average divorce rate that you probably hear about all the time is hiding that income disparity in divorce. But why are lower income couples' marriages at greater risk? In the early 2000s, there was an assumption that lower income couples valued marriage less or knew less about effective communication. Thankfully, that has been firmly disproved. Prevailing theory now is that lower income couples face many more stressors, which decrease the quantity of time that low income couples spend together and reduce the quality of the shared time that they actually have. Spending time together is key to maintaining a romantic relationship. It gives us the chance to enjoy each other, build memories, offer our partner support, creates opportunities for intimacy. So it tracks that couples who have less of that shared quality time might also experience higher rates of divorce. But this is just a theory and income related differences in the quantity and quality of couples time together has not been rigorously tested. 
So in this episode, we're diving deep into a new study by Dr. Hannah Williamson and Megan Schuweiler, who set out to test this theory. Patricia, I am so glad that we get to share this time together. So please Me too. tell us what we need to know about this new relationship science. Thank you so much. Great introduction. Um, so a little bit of a frame. This is a secondary data analysis, which basically means it's a huge data set that's publicly available, uh, mostly publicly available. Um, and it's also cross-sectional. Uh, specifically, the data set that they used for this study is the American Time Use Survey. And in this study, they were able to use, you guys, this is a big number. So sit, I hope you're sitting. Uh, 14,788 participants. Most of these were white, about 71%. Most of them were in fact employed, about employed, about 80%. And about only about half of them had children living in the home. And we don't know that if because they're empty nest and children have left or um, if they just uh, do not have children. So this sample specifically, um, the the American Time Use Survey is a much larger sample, but it's only that 14,000 because the authors limited it to only married people and people who were not retired. That working piece is really important because one of the keys to the, this theory of why lower income um, couples experience more contextual stress is that lower income couples have greater work stress, including longer commute times because of public transportation, irregular work hours, and more frequently called into work unexpectedly. And they're less able or they have less time to sync their time off with their spouse. So that the fact that they excluded people who were retired is really key um, to this study. For socioeconomic status, they calculated income poverty ratio, which is a really clever way. It's not just flat income, it's income, uh, the total household income, the amount of people supported on that income, and the ratio aspect is how much above or below the federal poverty line uh, that couple is. So those main outcome variables, thinking about the quantity and quality of time that they spent together. So for those variables, they used a daily diary survey. And so what they asked, well, what they asked the individuals to do um, th this survey is for a full 24 hour period from 4 a.m. one day to just, I guess, almost 4 a.m. the next day to report all of their activities seemingly by the minute. Thankfully, they only asked them to do it that 24-hour period. I don't think I could remember what I did the day before, so I'm glad it was only a 24-hour um, period and also that I wasn't included in the study. Um, so people reported on the activities that they were doing how long each activity lasted, um, where they were during that activity, and who was present for that activity. And that's how they really determine time spent with the spouse in minutes, like I said. So they summed the number of minutes spent in each activity in which the spouse was the only other person present. Now, if they have kids, I imagine that number was, was quite low. 
Um, they, ex they also excluded time sleeping. So sleeping next to your spouse does not count as quantity or quality time, no matter how much you love sleep. Um, they didn't count it, uh, grooming or personal slash private activities, um, which they didn't detail what that meant, but I think we all have imaginations. Also another interesting thing, really cool thing that they did for quality time. They summed also like the specific time that was categorized as leisure or household activities. And leisure and household activities were pre-coded uh, by the secondary data set. All right, so that's quantity of time is total summed minutes spent alone with their partner. For quality time, this part of the daily diary, the participants were asked to rate their emotional states at three randomly selected activities during those 24 hour period. Specifically, uh, these authors pulled the emotions of stress and happiness during an activity with their spouse. And they could rate how happy or stressed they were ranging from zero, not at all, to six, a whole heck of a lot. I don't think those are the exact response ratings, but you get the idea. So as I just explained how they did this quantity and quality aspect, I just want to give a quick shout out to this research team. Uh, I have worked, and I know several people um, have worked with secondary data, and the amount of data cleaning that mm -hmm. I assume went into this project mm -hmm. is astronomical. So a big shout out to this team for all the work they did really cultivating these variables and making sure um, that they were really capturing what they were looking for, that time, quality, time, quantity time spent together. Big kudos for that. Okay, so let's talk about the distribution of these variables, like the frequency of each of these variables. So on average, couples spent about 151 minutes alone together in a 24-hour period. That's a little less than two hours. So in a 20, 24 hour period, they spent two hours, a little less than two hours alone together on average. Leisure time was about an hour and a half, 105 minutes and hours working together on household activities. Hold on to your hats. It's 33 minutes. So don't do a whole lot of joint housework together. I don't blame them. <laughs> So for happiness, the quality of time that they spent together, um, overall, it seemed like these couples were fairly happy with the time they spent together. Uh, they rated it on average of 4.5 out of six, so fairly high. And for stress overall, it seemed like they were not terribly stressed during this time either, 1.1 out of six. Another important aspect was that income poverty ratio that we talked about earlier. And that average was uh, about 340%. So that means it's a 340% above the federal poverty line was the average income ratio for, for all of these individuals. All right. So what did they find? So first they did some analyses for the quantity of time couples. Uh, so couples, uh, at the poverty uh, uh, poverty line, spent about 144 minutes together on average, but couples 10 times above the poverty line, so you know pretty pretty high up there, um, spent about one and a half times more time together. So 
so couples or individuals in a couple who make substantially more money do spend more time together. I mean, over an hour more together they spend than uh, couples at the poverty line. They actually found that in some moderation analyses that that this might be because low-income couples spend significantly less time together on the weekends. So they looked to see if this association differed by the day of the week that they reported on in that 24-hour period. And they found that low-income couples spend a lot less time together on the weekends than their higher-income couples. Obviously, they don't know how to what this is attributed to, but the, the speculation is um, different work schedules. Similar patterns were found for specific time together in leisure and household activities as as well. Not not exactly the same, but but fairly similar. Similar. What interesting thing I also thought about this study was that couples with children appear to have a reverse effect, whereby low-income couples without children spent more time together than higher-income couples without children. Um, there wasn't a time difference by income for people with children. So that those uh, couples without children, um, you saw a really stark difference in how they spent time together. Okay. We've been talking a lot about the quantity of time. What about this quality of time, that happiness and stress? So for happiness, as a measure of quality of the time they spend together, couples seem to really be equally happy with the time they spend together. Um, even when considering parenting status and days of the week, in this sample, couples, when they did spend to get time together, they were pretty happy about it, um, no, no matter what their income level was. So for stress, there was a little bit of, of difference. Couples with higher income did report less stress during the time that they spent uh, with their partner. And this effect, in some of their moderation analyses, it might be that this effect is exacerbated by number of hours the couples work in a week, meaning lower income couples who worked fewer hours on average experienced more stress compared to higher income couples who worked a similar number of hours. But there was no difference when working um, more hours. It was kind of those couples who were working fewer hours uh, experienced more stress if they were lower income. One thing is not clear at all, and it's obviously the way these questions were asked, is where this stress is coming from. The The measure of stress the it was just general stress. So we don't know if the stress is stemming from the work environment, from uh, other external factors, or from the the couple. Um, it could easily be spillover stress. It was just generally, are you feeling stressed at this moment? A really fascinating study. Before I get into the limitations, I'm so curious. What what are you guys thinking? What are your thoughts about the study? Um, I'm happy to share my thoughts on this article. Um, so I appreciate what you said there at uh, towards the end, PR, about the types of stressors. To me, it seemed like the one thing that kept coming up as I was reading the article, because as we all know, just the the type of stress we experience has really significant implications on our relationships. 
um, and the way we hold stress in our body physically, right? And how that, you know, I think about, okay, the prescriptions we have around like, okay, figure out how to spend quality time with your partner, like make it happen. But when it comes to stress in our lives, it's not as easy as turning it on and off. And I, I think I keep thinking about, okay, what do we do with this information? Um, there doesn't seem, at least for me, um, you know, in a general sense, any easy answers to it, because stress is really something that as a society, I think we really struggle to manage or cope with. And when it comes to thinking about the impact it has on our romantic relationships, as much as we like to think there's a, there's a, there's a way to address that in a way that helps our relationships, it is a complex, you know, experience that we have, and it is mental, it's physical, um, it's cumulative, it's so many things. I think that, um, you know, reading the article, I thought, okay, this is helpful to be aware of this, but then what do we do with it, right? That kept coming back up for me, and especially not having any clear understanding of what the stressors were that they were talking about, it left sort of a question mark, like, how do we address it if we don't know what the stressors are? Because I think that is a, that there's a part of that, that uh, there's a piece of that for me that's missing, as much as I appreciated um, the opportunity to have the conversation reading the article. Yeah. At first glance, that's sort of my initial, initial reaction to it. I think that's a really great point. And obviously beyond the scope of, of this study, but identifying stressors is key. And if we're thinking about a therapeutic context or a dyadic couple context, sometimes it can be really hard identifying what specifically those stressors are sometimes labeling them. So that also could be part of the process is conversations around identifying the stressors, um, especially if they pile up, sometimes it's hard to pick one, right? Um, So I think that that's a really great point is trying to figure out what those stressors are and how we can cope with them. Yeah, I think it's really um, interesting result that you're describing, Patricia, that um, couples who have less income are maybe, uh, maybe when they are spending time together, some of that time together is more stressed. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to sort of understand when you have this um, when you have this other effect of these childless couples, these couples without kids, when they have more time together because there are not kids in the picture interfering with your every moment. I think that's a lovely universal to take away from this paper that kids just absolutely tank your time together regardless <laughs> of income. And it's really, really important that when you have kids, you're probably having to work extra hard to connect. Mm. Um, uh, but that then higher income couples invest that time, a lot of that additional free time in working more. Yeah. So it does seem like there could be some really interesting nuance, I think, in what people are bringing into the relationship uh, and how that's impacting how I'm able to focus on my time with you, which I think teasing out what really matters is important. So not just what stressors are they experiencing and how does it impact the relationship and how does the stress in the relationship flow back outwards, but really teasing out which which maybe matters more here because they've tested quantity and quality. Mm, I see where you're going. It seems like quantity may matter less than maybe some of the quality of those moments that we're spending mm. 
especially if the quality assessment's talking about is sort of really impacted by all the stress I'm carrying home with me. Right. I, another building on that, I I was really curious, and uh, maybe in the in the future research of this, the moderating effect of the happiness and stress. Because if you're really happy in those moments and you're also stressed, does that mitigate the negative impact stress has on the relationship? Um, that's something I'm really curious about is those, mm-hmm. the, the contextual, mm-hmm. like the together, the emotions that you're feeling, because we could be stressed and happy at the same time. And so yeah. what do those look like um, together? Do they interact with each other or are they separate constructs that have separate impacts on um, could potentially have separate impacts on relationship quality. Obviously they didn't test that here, but it is a curiosity I have um, also. Well, and I think another cool universal sort of finding from this paper that income was not tied to happiness experience during time with spouse. It doesn't affect how much I enjoy my partner, which I think is a really important takeaway, especially sort of given what we named up front that, historically, we have made some really very negative and very awful inappropriate assumptions about Mm -hmm. couples living closer to the federal poverty level that maybe they just don't value marriage as much. And it is, it's not, it was such a pervasive belief 30 Mm -hmm. years ago. It drove a lot of relationship research at that time. A lot of relationship education, a lot of policy. A really, uh, and research that didn't result in really anything of value, uh, how ironic. Uh, so I think <laughs> I think a really important important universal that you're describing that the happiness that I feel when I'm with my spouse mm, was beautiful. not affected by income. Something else that sort of stood out to me that um, you know I, I I understand it's secondary data, so it's it's tricky with um, with that in mind. But when I was looking at some of the demographic data, I had a lot of questions around given how much when we talk about gender, race, ethnicity, like these things are tried to stress. I, I, I was really curious to, to really understand how those factors really would look based on, based on those groupings. Um, and especially thinking about um, race and ethnicity and how mm-hmm. susceptible people um, in certain SES groups are to SES related stress. Um, and thinking about racial stress and all of those things that you can't necessarily, those external, you cannot always, there's no easy answers to managing those things in our lives. Um, so there were, there were, there are, you know, I think opportunities here to expand on this in, in, in future studies. Um, but it's also tricky because when you look at the people who are opting into these, these data sets, it's 6% African-American does not represent the, the larger community and these other groups as well. So um, it's, it is sometimes a question, how do we generalize this when we're not capturing everybody? Um, and so I'm mindful, I'm mindful of that piece. Absolutely. And to, to echo that, um, we know that the income distribution in our country is not reflective of the, these demographics either. Um, so maybe, maybe it's not as generalizable, um, but it is, a a great starting point, maybe. I was thinking about, um, you know, as clinicians on in, on the clinical side of things, mm. what what the takeaways are for for us, um, and mm. how this this 
applies to our work and and um i'm curious you know sarah as well as being both like active clinicians like how do we use this information to not do more harm in terms of like perpetuating any of these you know ideas around like how easy it is maybe to just apply quality time and quant you know time in your relationships so um I didn't know if you had any thoughts on that because I, I had a couple too that I, I was hoping to, to to discuss. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think uh, I think that although these authors didn't necessarily tease out the relative um, impact of like quality of time versus quantity of time for for example, they they didn't test uh, how it's tied to relationship satisfaction. Uh, I might think there is sort of value in inviting couples to have conversations about what quality time looks like for either of them. In other words, when are we both feeling happy and also spending time, just the two of us? What does that look like? So we can sort of maximize happiness across the two of us together, given uh, many, maybe all the other limitations on the number of minutes we get to spend together that might be I don't know, a little bit less in our control. And I think traditionally, therapists often appropriately in lots of ways talk about how do you all spend time together, just the two of you with couples. But um, I think being careful that just suggesting more time together may add to people's stress, especially if they are experiencing limitations to how much money they have to spend in leisure activities, right? Like how much how much money I can spend on regular date nights is that's going to vary family to family. And so thinking about um, maybe talking about spending time together and what's important and how that's important, but also how that's important for a particular couple in terms of how they spend that time in ways that don't add stress, but maybe really focus on what makes them both happiest. Yeah. And I think that is an important conversation and an assumption we should avoid as therapists thinking like people inherently yeah. have a shared understanding of what it means to spend quality time together. Mm, yeah. I think, um, you know, understandably, if there's less time to be spent when you do find it, there's a lot of pressure on that time to really mm -hmm. make it count, make it productive. And we don't yep. always, we forget sometimes that being productive doesn't necessarily mean we're enjoying that time, right? <laughs> right. Distinction there. Absolutely. For some, it could be like, yes, if we were productive, I feel really great about that. Whereas others, it's like that time felt really overwhelming and pressure, got a lot done, but I didn't enjoy it, right? And I think this idea of like going through your checklist as a couple, is like we have half an hour in yeah. our evening to talk let's use it to make sure we're on the same page for the week's activities. That's not maybe for some couples quality time as much as it is like something else, right? So how do they develop a shared understanding? And when they don't have a shared understanding, what does that look like as well? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it, it feels like there's a lot of nuanced conversations that need to happen. Um, and as therapists like avoiding these sort of, um, problem solving without really going through those those ideas yep. with the couple seems really important to do mm -hmm. so last night when I was working up the outline for this podcast it was in bed on my laptop and my husband was sitting next to me in bed on his laptop the kids were asleep the trio all of them thankfully it's amazing yeah. um and I said hey uh 
you know, it's good to spend time together alone without kids. Just you and I. He goes, he said, he said, does this count? And I said, I think so. <laughs> and we both laughed. <laughs> we both laughed and turned back to our laptop. So nailed it. <laughs> nailed it. Super happy, not at all stressed. <laughs> five minutes (laughs) it is hard if you have like a hundred things on your mind that you need to share with your partner because there's so many shared like things that you have Mm. to come to decisions on like and yet you're all supposed to use that time to enjoy each other and laugh and just you know be present with how do you fit it all in you know it doesn't feel like you have this, the, the, the opportunities are not the same for, for folks who have, don't have that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it feels harder. It feels harder to think about like, how do, how do you make that time count when there's no other time to be had mm-hmm. and does counting matter or as much as it does like really feeling connected. It's just, there's no easy, um, and there's no real clear, people don't always know what it looks like to like be present and what it means to just mm-hmm. connect like mm. making eye contact with your partner and just staring at each other for some that could be very intimate for others that could feel like a waste of time I don't think um I don't think there are and I and I've seen it I, I go online sometimes and I see these articles these blogs of like how to build quality time mm-hmm. together and they just tell you what to do yeah yeah as opposed to yeah you better take up hiking because it's everybody's favorite quality time <laughs> Listen. And leave your kids at the bottom of the mountain because they are. They're just that is hilarious. Away. You brought that example up. I went hiking last week with Carlos, <laughs> and we—I almost killed it. You know, it, was, <laughs> it was not a good. It was not Everyone, a good quality time activity. Everyone I, says you should try it, but then you get up there and you are seeing a new side of your partner. <laughs> I checked it off the list of quality time things, and then it was definitely not quality time. It was me complaining the whole time about how. <laughs> it was on my body so yeah that was a great example hiking hiking (laughs) fantastic yeah I am amazed at these people having two hours on average alone with their partner every day that's that's amazing either either they're lying or my (laughs) life is very different I'm doing something very wrong it's probably the second option it sounded like you were doing something right bed laptops i mean hey 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 baby it works for you that's all that matters bed laptops then after we had the bed laptop conversation uh he said he pointed at a a a pile of books that i bought that i haven't read yet he said tell me about those books and i said it's none of your business (laughs) quality time over in (laughs) stare at your laptop again i'm just kidding (laughs) All right. So now, oh, go ahead. Sorry, Susan. No, I was just, it just said easier said than done. You know, this this quality time stuff. Absolutely. So now what should our listeners take away from this study? We talked a little bit about from a therapeutic standpoint, and we know a common recommendation for couples is to go on a date night. Like we said, I think it's important to know the economic context of a couple before um, we make these types of recommendations. Um, And maybe rather than making recommendations of more time together, focus on how to spend quality time together that is quality time from both of their perspectives. Um, As Sesson was saying, 
think about ways to cope with stress in the home, as we saw that is is different for low-income couples. Um, we can focus on ways to reduce feelings of stress during these times um, they're able to spend together and really maximize that quality time to spend together. And the last take home that I'm very excited about uh, is income is not linked to feeling happy with your spouse. That is lovely. Anything else in the takeaways that you want to make sure our, our listeners hear? One thing I didn't mention before, I, I just wanted to highlight, I think when we're talking about um, quantity of time um, and being mindful of it's, it's not as easy as um, couples hiring a babysitter and finding a way to just sort of escape um, together without children um, or the other stressors in their lives. But right. I think this idea of being in community, growing your community, strengthening your community is important because if couples feel like they can lean on others, I think that creates an opportunity for them to turn to each other. Um, and as we, you know, look at people within our communities and how many of them are not surrounded in proximity by family and friends that they, mm. you know, have grown up with or who they really have often leaned on maybe in other times in their lives when it comes to having your own family um, and not having the financial means perhaps to you know, create those opportunities for time alone together, really thinking about how do we lean on our village? How do we turn to them and support each other in efforts to try to also build time in for our relationships? I, so, yeah, yeah, I absolutely love that, especially for our practitioners, like finding, helping your couples find ways to harness existing s support, um, building those communities. Fantastic. Thanks for listening to Attached. As always, a link to the study is in the show notes. And remember to review and rate. Uh, that really helps more people find us. So please consider to rate and review Attached on your favorite app. Finally, if you have any relationship questions you want us to talk about, email us at attachedpodcast at gmail.com or get at us on the social medias all at Attached Podcast. We cannot wait to talk about it. Bye.